Good evening, church. Another Wednesday night during our season of COVID, and uh, we're glad that you're tuning in. Now, hopefully, when things settle down, we can get back to a more regular schedule. Until that time, we're going to press on. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look at your word tonight from the book of Colossians, we ask you to guide us into your truth, that you'll strengthen us in our inner man, and that, Father, you'll lead us to what you want us to do, and that we'll be obedient to your word. I especially pray, Father, for those who have never accepted Christ Jesus publicly as their personal Lord and Savior, that you convict them about their need to do that this very hour. For those of us who are Christians and need to make other decisions, we ask that you do that. And, Father, we'll give you praise in all things. In Christ's name, amen. Tonight I wanted to look at uh, failure through heresy. And here's the way I want to approach it. We have a lot of controversy going on about well, COVID and trying to develop a vaccine quicker and who's right and who's wrong and all those kinds of things that, you know, to try to keep us from getting this disease through another vaccine, inoculation, whatever you want to call it. And at the same time, we also know that flu season is upon us or coming very quickly. And so we're supposed to take shots for that. It's, it seems like there seems to be a shot for almost everything. But <clears throat> there are some spiritual warnings that Paul has for us in the book of Colossians. And I really think we, we could uh, call them spiritual diseases in ways we can prevent those things, uh, whether it's inoculation. And basically it means, do we know our Bible enough not to fall for heresy? That, uh, you know, I hear it all the time. Oh, I've studied that before. Oh, doctrine is boring. You know, it matters what we believe because what we believe determines how we practice our faith. What we believe determines how we live out our faith before others. What we believe is critically important because if we're wrong about our beliefs, we're leading others down the wrong path as we walk it. And so we need to know what we believe. And, and basically what Paul wants us to understand is, is that we must hold fast a proper biblical doctrine to live a proper Christian lifestyle. We have to hold a proper biblical doctrine to live a proper or a right Christian lifestyle. Paul always seems to start his epistles with, here's the theology, and then he switches gears. Now, here's how you apply it. Here's how you live it out on a day-by-day -day basis. So let's look at some of these spiritual diseases that are caused by uh, failures of heresy. The first one is foot disease. We've heard a lot about foot disease. Different people have foot problems. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, the apostle says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, walk in Jesus as you've received Him. And then he tells us in verse 7 how we received Him. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And so we need to know what our basic tenets of the faith are. We need to know what the gospel really is. And it's not something milky. He goes on in verse 8 and says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So the foot disease means we're not walking in Christ Jesus the Lord biblically. 
We're not walking in the way he walked. There's a certain way a Christian is to walk through this life. This is a journey from this life to eternal life. This is a journey from this where we live as strangers, aliens in a foreign land, to our heavenly home. And how we walk matters. We're to walk in Christ Jesus. Several scriptures if you're taking notes. 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse, verses 5 and 6. The apostle said, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know we're in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. When you read your New Testament, you see Jesus doing things. When I see Jesus, and what he taught, what he said, how he did it, those are the things that should clue us to how Jesus walked, how he behaved, how he went through the world, how he lived his life, how he showed others the way God intended. That's the way we're to walk. If we say we're in Jesus, we are to walk as he walked. We can go on. In 2 Peter <clears throat> chapter 3, uh, verse 18, at the end of his uh, little epistle, Second uh, Peter, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. As you walk, you build spiritual muscles in the faith. As you walk, you learn what you believe in the faith. As you walk according to how Christ would want, you grow in faith. And that's what Peter says we need to do to avoid foot disease. The last one's out of Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 3, Paul says, We're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, uh, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. One. Didn't say there were multiple ways to get to heaven. Didn't say, oh, we're all trying to get the same place, preacher. We might be, but Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's why Paul said, one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, who is above all and over all. You walk in the way of Jesus. We go on down through here. He tells us not to walk in the way of the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> he says this, uh, verse 17. This I say... Therefore, to testify in the Lord that you should not, no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. You understand that there is a right way to walk. Jesus described it as the narrow path, not the broad way. He described it as the way of life, not the way of death. He described it as there's one way to walk. And if you don't believe those things and follow those things, then you're going to catch foot disease, not walking in the spirit of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The second disease is, is what I have called heart trouble. Again, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul reminds us, For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head and the principality of all principality and power. 
heart disease. What does that mean? It means we're not filled with the fullness of Christ. We don't take time to do that. Uh, Ephesians 3.19 speaks to this. In Ephesians 3.19, he says that, uh, let me back up to verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which patches knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And that's what he's talking about. When we're not filled with the fullness of God, we have a heart problem. We have a problem of, of, of not following Jesus correctly because we're not being filled with the fullness of God. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John talks about it. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, he says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus. He says, I know your works. Jesus knows our works. Your labor. That sounds good. Your patience. Oh, my. And you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are prophets, and have not, and found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and labored in my name. That sounds like a good church. They're holding fast the word of God. They're testing to see if folks really are believers. They, they, they persevere. They have patience. All those good things. And then he says this. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Here it is, the heart problem. That you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly. And remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Heart disease means not being filled with Christ's fullness. We're not walking with that freshness of spiritual life. We're not walking with discovering new joys every day in His Word. We're not walking in service to Him. Our service has become routine, commonplace. We've gotten used to it. We know we can do it. Anytime we can do, quote-unquote, for God, without God's help, it's not of God. Did you hear that? Anytime we can do for God without God's help, it's not of God. We have to depend on Him. We have to be filled with the Spirit. Anointed by the Spirit to do the work He's called us to do. And it speaks of a heart problem. He said all these good things you do. Testing the spirits. Testing the apostles. Knowing what the Bible says about it. All those things you've labored hard. You're a good solid church on the outside. But there's something lacking. You're not being filled with Jesus. You've left your first love. That is a warning to all of us of heart disease. There's something clogging the arteries. There's something that isn't right. It's making the heart quiver. Maybe it is going into arrhythmia. Maybe they're getting ready to have a heart attack. He says, return to your first love. Do the first works and repent. Or else doom comes. Do we understand that? That when we're guilty of heart disease, we've lost our first love. Now I hope when you were saved you realized that you fell in love with Jesus. And when you truly fall in love, when it's really love, even on a physical plane, when it's really love and you get married, when it's really love, it endures. It grows. It gets sweeter with time. And when you really fall in love, it gets better and better and better. Are there hardships along the way? Yes. Are there troubles along the way? Yes. Are there things to work through along the way? Yes. See, Jesus does that for us. We sin, 
We ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. We walk with him. We stumble, we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us. He strengthens us, he guides us with his spirit. We need to be filled with the love of Jesus in our hearts, with his fullness to love others. How can we love the unlovable if we don't love Jesus? And there's no way. How can we, re we treat our enemies as love those who hate you? Pray for those who despitefully use you. Those are hard commands. And none of it can take place unless our hearts are on fire with the love of Jesus Christ. If when we come to church, it doesn't thrill us to be with other believers, our hearts are cold. We're away from Jesus. If we sing the songs of the faith, whether it's a hymn or a new praise and worship song, and it doesn't just light us up, if it doesn't make our bells ring, if it doesn't put a lift in our step, we're cold on the inside. We fail to be filled with Jesus. Our heart, our love is growing cold. Here's the best way to describe it. If you take a coal out of the big fire pit and you put it over here, the fire may continue burning, but the coal, coal it gets colder and colder because it's away from the others and it gets colder till it is black and cold even the fire is still got embers burning hot and bright and still can hurt you and cook. This one separated out is cold. When we get away from Jesus, when we get away from God's people, when we get away from where we're supposed to be, that's what happens to us. Our hearts turn cold and black. And we wonder why church doesn't fill us anymore. Church doesn't do it. My Sunday school teacher just, my pastor just, I don't like those songs. It's too hot. It's too loud. Too many kids. Not enough kids. Too many old people. On and on it goes. Is that really a church problem or is that a heart problem? Only you can answer that. Only I can answer that. I have to examine my heart quite often to make sure that I'm where God wants me to be and you need to also. Then, We've gone from foot disease to heart disease. What about general debility? You just sort of, ugh, you know, I'm just, like I got the flu. General debility. He talks about it, that in Colossians chapter 2. I think it's verse 19. He said uh, this. He, he don't want us, he, he says, uh, in verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And he says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. You see, general debility means we're not holding to the head for nourishment. Where well, Jesus isn't the head of our lives. He's not the head of our church. It means that he's no longer guiding or directing. If you haven't noticed it, when a head comes off a body, the body dies. When you get a creak in your neck, the body hurts. If you break your neck, you can be paralyzed. Because the head's up there. Do we understand that? The head controls everything you're supposed to. Now, we can go on and look at some other examples of, of the general ability. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The Judaizers had come in. They were telling everybody, you have to go through all of Judaism. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep all the laws of Moses to be a Christian. And he said, you receive Christ by faith. 
alone, by grace alone, in Jesus alone. That's how you're saved. Stand fast in that. Now, this liberty doesn't give us, as he says in other parts, uh, uh, just to do whatever we want. But it means that I am free to serve Christ. Sin no more has dominion over me or you. It's not our ruler. We're not a slave to it. Jesus said, what if you serve? If it's sin, you're a slave to sin. But Christ has set us free from that. We can say no because he's given us the Holy Spirit, because he's given us his word. We can live a different lifestyle. If you man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Unless we have that general disability, we're not holding to the head, which is Christ, for the nourishment of all. He also said something similar to that in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning with verse 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. Now listen to me. There's something about God's word. We better know it. We better keep it. We better obey it. We better write it down. We better take some notes. When God speaks to us through his word, we need to know what he says and we need to remember it and obey it. And then he goes on in verse 6. He who says he abides in him. Oh, that's 1 John. I ought to walk in him still. 2 Timothy 3, 6. I'll get there eventually. Um, he said... Uh, Know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. If that doesn't describe what's going on in our society right now, what is? Then he says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and able, able to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, if we don't stick to the head that Christ is the head of all, that everything is of Christ, made for Christ, that he made it, it's for him, he is Lord, he is supreme, he is Savior. If we don't hold to that, we're led astray. We get general debility. We have weakness rather than strength. We have anemic Christians rather than strong, bold Christians. We have Christians who, who won't stand up for Jesus, who won't tell others about Jesus, who just won't say, I've heard, heard them say to me, Brother Gary, just learn to love and let live. In other words, let them do their thing. They deserve to do their thing. The problem with that is it's not scriptural for a Christian to do their own thing. See, we come to Jesus just as we are. Because I've heard people tell me that. You just accept me the way I am. Well, that's fine. You can come to Jesus just as you are if you come in faith and repentance of your sin because he'll change you into what he wants you to be or me to be. Do we understand that? Coming to Christ means all things are new. If you came to Jesus and nothing changed, you didn't really get saved. See, our want-tos get saved. Or thinking gets saved. I had a lot of stinking thinking until Jesus got a hold of it. I was in the same camp. Just let them alone. They can do what they want. It's everybody's choice. It's your choice, but those choices have consequences. Those choices affect other people. Those choices lead to life eternal by accepting Christ as Savior or life in hell by rejecting Him or not doing anything with Him, just ignoring Him. No one comes to the Father but by me, is what Jesus said. 
And so gentle debility means we don't hold to the head for nourishment. Jesus, in that verse, said he's given us everything we need. Okay. In other verses, it says he's given us everything we need for the life of godliness. He's given us the Holy Spirit to reside in us to tell us the truth. He's given us his word, which is truth. He's given us his love, which is always true. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can survive. So foot disease, heart disease, general deliability. How about mental aberration, mental illness? Some folks suffer from that spiritually. Colossians chapter 3, in verse 1 and 2, it says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which were above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The word if there means, I assume you have. The word if there means since you've accepted Christ. Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. For you died and your life is hidden in God <clears throat> with Christ. For Christ, whose our life appears, and you also appear with him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth. And he lists a bunch of sins there. You see, when you talk about mental aberration, it means that we're setting our minds, our desires, our attitudes on the things of this earth. Not on heavenly things. There's spiritual wisdom, and there's physical wisdom. Earthly wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from the devil, and there's wisdom that comes from Jesus. And the Christian is supposed to set his mind on those things above. This is not home. Last time I checked, unless Jesus comes back, nobody escapes death. Last time I checked, you came into the world naked. You brought nothing into the world but yourself. You're going to leave here. You would leave it naked except that they dress you in the, in the funeral home. And you don't take anything with you. Except those things have been done. For the glory of Jesus, for the glory of God, because you are Christian and you've lived that way. And those things go to heaven. Blessed are the dead who die from now on, uh, says the Spirit. It's die from now on in Christ, says the Spirit. For they have rest from their labors and their works follow them. In other words, that's Revelation 13, 10, I think. And he's saying is, you're blessed if you die in Christ. Not blessed if you don't, but you're blessed if you die in Christ. You have Rest from your labors, your labors cease. No more working, no more troubles, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. And your works, those things you did for Jesus, those things maybe nobody else saw, those things that didn't draw glory to you but glorified the Heavenly Father, those follow you. Don't have mental aberration by not setting your minds on things above. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. All those things were the things he listed earlier in that chapter. We worry about food. We worry about clothes. We worry about how we're going to make it. We worry about this and that. And he said, if you quit worrying about that, because he goes on after 6.33 and says, Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own trouble. Sufficient is the day for this trouble now is basically uh, the translation. So he says, Don't set your mind on these things. Set them on above. Don't have mental aberration. The final thing he says is fleshly indulgence. That's a disease. Fleshly indulgence. He says in verse 5, Therefore put to death your members, in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now yourselves are to put off these anger, wrath, malice, 
Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Fleshly indulgence means these folks were not mortifying their members. They weren't bringing their bodies under control, as Paul said in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship, that you may prove whether that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. You see, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We were bought with a price. We're to use our bodies to glorify God. We're not using it for all these sins, a lot of sexual sin, a lot of evil desire, a lot of these things. They're not to weigh us down. They're not to be a part of our lifestyle. We're to shed the old and put on the new. It's a picture of taking off the old, dirty, nasty clothes we had. We've been clean. You don't go back on and put on those clothes. They're new clothes. We put them on. We wear them out. And that's what he means. Don't be guilty of self-indulgence. All of this takes place as we know our Bibles. We know what it means to be saved. The Holy Spirit is teaching us. And we hold fast to proper biblical doctrine. It disturbed me that 200 uh, Southern Baptists a day join the Mormon church. Well, Brother Gary, they're just trying to do good. They don't believe in Jesus the way we They'll tell you about Jesus, but the Jesus they believe in is totally different from the Jesus of the Bible. It bothers me that so many leave and, and they join the Jehovah Witnesses, and I don't want to downgrade these other things, but you need to understand Jehovah Witnesses, oh, they're nice, Brother Gary. They help me here and they help me there. Yes, they do, but they also don't believe in the Jesus we believe in. God's name is Jehovah. They believe in the God of the Old Testament, not the God of the New Testament. Jesus is Son. There's my time's up. Anyway, hold proper doctrine. Don't be fooled. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Uh, let your word sink deep within us. Let us obey you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, be careful. We'll see you the next time.